welcome to Eagle Church. If you've never been here before, my name's Jeff. I'm uh, the next-gen pastor here, and uh, we're super happy to have you here with us. Uh, again, if there's anything that you don't uh, understand or you've never experienced here, maybe you've never really been in a church setting or it's been a super long time, uh, feel free to ask questions of any of the ushers or anybody else here. Uh, we hope your, your time with us is just awesome. So I uh, want to move on ahead here. Uh, we've been going through uh, this series in uh, Peter, Second Peter, uh, looking at the uh, different things we can add to our faith that will change the way that we live our lives, the, the, the valuable lessons we can learn and the different things we can add that will be a part of our day-to-day Jesus-based life and will be game changers for us. So I started thinking about my topic today, and I started to think about the world around me. And really, one of the ways that we can define the world around us, and I don't think this will be a big shock for anybody, is looking at our convenience culture. And I know that we've always been kind of after convenience. That's not like a bad thing. When anybody that's been in the workplace in any field for any amount of time knows you're looking for that way to get the most output with the least amount of input, the least amount of work to do the most uh, amount, to, to putting in the least amount of work to get the most out of it. It's just... That's basic, right? That's normal. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I know when I was working at a lumber yard, they would try and teach us the, you know, working hard was great. You could get out there and throw all the wood on the forklift. But if you could go in and just take the forks and get get all the wood on in one big scoop without destroying, you know, five thousand dollars worth of lumber, which tended to happen sometimes, um, you would be way better off because it would take way less time. So it's not like it's a bad thing, but look at the way this is impacting us, especially in the last five to six, seven years, even more than before that, we see new ways of trying to get things quicker, faster, easier. Let me give you some examples. I'm the worst for this, like the absolute worst for this. I, last week, literally, I just wanted a French press coffee maker. I needed a new one, and I was like, you know what, there's, there's a Walmart down the road there, and, uh, you know, that's seven minutes down the road, but then you got to, like, you know, open the door, unlatch it, use your fingers, shut the door. I'm getting tired just thinking about this right now. And walk into Walmart, you have to deal with the waves of people that just stop their carts in the middle. I know it's not Costco, but it's still not great. And just get in your way, and then you got to go through the automated machine to self-checkout that you're like, oh, that'll be faster, but then the robot goes crazy and no one knows what's going on, and you have to have someone come anyways to fix it. Your anxiety is through the roof. Then I have to drive seven minutes back. So I thought, you know what's even better? Amazon Prime. Guys, if you're not using Amazon Prime, what are you waiting for? It's the best. Also, it takes two days for things to come. Two days, and we're getting an Amazon warehouse just outside of the city limits. That's right, I said city limits of Beaumont. We are a city now, somehow. And there's, there's this Amazon warehouse. One day shipping is coming, people. I only have to sleep one time to get my my French press. I felt, what I'm trying to say is I felt it was better to wait two full days and nights to get my French press than to go through the work of getting it at Walmart. Another example of this is Starbucks. Starbucks was built on the idea of like community hanging out, like it's it's not like the steel prison seats of Tim Hortons, trying to have nice places to sit. And that was what they were built on. Literally, I was listening to a, to a TED talk, and the guy was talking about how Starbucks was built on this community thing, this, this family feel. Well, in the last couple of years, it's been the first time that they've never had um, any growth 
they haven't had any made money, like they're not growing like they were, so they've actually moved to more of a convenience culture replica and looking at having uh, people order. So you can get your $5 latte for only $3 more, you'll have it delivered to you, so you don't have to like drive three or four blocks, right? Awesome. I don't like going through, like, into the building. I've been trying to, maybe just to, you know, human interaction, I'm learning is a positive thing. And there's, but I don't like going into Starbucks. Like, it could be, it could be plus 20. It's not even about the cold. There could be a lineup going on to the main road there, like, looping around like a NASCAR track. Like, there's laps around this thing of a drive-through. And there I can see there's nobody inside. And I know that I'm going to waste gas just by idling and idling and idling and idling but I'll still go sit in that drive-thru. I'll get mad about it, of how long it's taking. Because it's just easier not to have, it's that latch thing on the door again. You know what I'm talking about? It's just exhausting, not worth it. This is, comes out through social media. This comes out in lots of different ways. And so when I was thinking about this, I was looking at some different ways, um, different examples of how this, this can impact our culture. And what convenience culture can also manifest in laziness. So I, I looked up, some of the most incredible stories of laziness. And Blaze Press, actually, uh, it's an online um, website, and it was t asking its subscribers and its readers to send in their laziest moments. And I, I wanted to share a couple of them with you this morning. First one is, I ordered underwear from Amazon, hey, overnight delivery because I didn't want to do the laundry. <laughs> this one's really weird. I didn't... This, I was half asleep downstairs, didn't want to go upstairs to pee, so I used the kitty litter box. Obviously, I'm not a cat. Well, hope that's a given. Uh, I pushed a dirty plate under the sofa so that someone else would find it and clean it. This one I love because I've done this one before. TV volume was too low, and the remote was across the room, and I already sat down in my comfy recliner, so I downloaded an app to my phone and turned the volume up via the app. It was fantastic. Been there, done that. Definitely done that one. Um, I didn't leave my house for three days because I didn't want to shower. Um, at least they're aware of their hygiene. Um, I once ordered a pizza from Domino's for the napkins because I had no paper towels in the house. <laughs> this one's my favorite because I remember getting in trouble for doing this one when I was a kid. I spilled a little bit of ice cream on the table, so I took off my sock and used it to wipe it. That's the one you're grossed out by? Not the kitty litter box one? Oh yeah, no, the kitty litter, that's, that's not that bad, but using a sock on ice cream, disgusting. Oh my goodness. All right, um, so that's what we're getting to. That's where we're at, people. That's the society we live in. That's the war way we're going. And some people are like, oh man, <laughs> I can't live on this planet anymore. But that's what we're getting to, this convenience culture, this, this kind of laziness that seeps into how we live, and, and it's hitting us in every area of, of where we are and, and, and who we are. So like we always do when we're here, if you've never been to church before, you're always going to see us go through the Bible at some point on, on a Sunday morning. And that's because we believe that an engagement with the Bible is the best way that we think you can find an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, with God himself. Um, God wrote a book. He was the architect of this book, and he used a lot of different people that he chose to bring all, this, all these stories and all these lessons together. And we believe that if you read the Bible, you're going to find relevance for your everyday life. It's going to change the way you live your life, the way you save, the way you like, function as a human being. It will be the most relevant thing you can ever input into your life. 
So that's why you're going to find us going through the Bible, and we're going to do that here this morning. The, the verse we've been going through the last little bit um, for, through this Vintage Faith series is 2 Peter 1, 5-9. It says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Now, when Pastor Marlowe gave me this uh, Sunday to speak, he let me know that I was doing mutual affection. And if you know me, I'm not the most affectionate person. Yeah, I figured that was the case, just to watch me squirm a little bit, but that's okay. Mutual affection. And I was kind of like, I'm like, what are we going to do with this? Like, how do I, mutual affection, like, how do we communicate that in a way that isn't going to get us, like, slapped or in, in trouble? Like, it's just, it's a very dangerous game these days, right? Like, like, I don't feel comfortable with this. Maybe I'll pass it off to Marlo or Pastor Joel or somebody. But, no, I started to look into this a little bit deeper. And I'm not, by nature, a teacher. Like, I'm not, I'm not the guy that likes to get up here and go through all the different Greek words or this or that or study things. As much. I'm more of a preacher. Maybe that makes me sound like I'm, I'm not as smart as some people, but I do like to talk is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but I, it's just not my thing, right? Um, but we got to start at the foundation of some of these words for this to work. So I, I want to show you. Mutual affection is actually not the word, obviously, that was used when this book was originally written. The Bible, if you don't know, this was written in three main languages. And the Old Testament uh, was Hebrew, and the New Testament was something called Aramaic and also Greek. So Peter would have been writing in this in Greek. So we have to go back to the original language to look at what some of these words might mean. Because when things translate, it might not, there might be three words for love, right? It's kind of like how we have there, there, and there. And all of the people that are grammar, um, militant grammar people get upset when you use the wrong, wrong one. It's kind of like that. There might be different words, and trying to explain that to somebody who doesn't speak English would be difficult. So that's why we look at these original languages. So... What the word that Peter actually uses is called Philadelphia. And no, that's not the Greek words for aggressive football fans or for like really good cheesesteaks. It's actually the word, the Greek word for brotherly love. And that's the word we're going to use. Instead of mutual affection, brotherly love is the term we're going to go. And that, that makes sense, right? You've always heard when you're thinking of sports, oh yeah, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You're like, yeah. Why? That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But it's because Philadelphia is the Greek word. There's your lesson for the day. If, that, if you walk away with just that, there, there's your lesson. Brotherly love, which again, doesn't really make it, mutual affection, brotherly love. Those still aren't really terms that I use in my day-to-day -day life when I'm talking to people, right? So what, what, are the, what is this word? Then we get to go into a little bit deeper. And when we study this, we see that there's two similar words that he easily could have used to explain this instead of Philadelphia or brotherly love. The first one, and I'm going to say it, is krestotes. And I'm assuming I'm saying that right. And what that means is goodwill that leads to good deeds. Goodwill that leads to good deeds. So it's, good, it's like it's good feelings, it's good, good, like, yeah, it's goodwill. So an example of this might be like, you know what, see someone's having a rough day on Facebook sharing something, there's a fight in the family, or, or somebody's sick, and you hit the like button. Or if you really get out there, you're praying. Or maybe even the hands together praying emoji to let them know that you really, really think about them. Right? It's goodwill, but it will lead to good deeds. Maybe you send a message of support. I don't know, something like that. But it's not super intense. It's not super in-depth. There's another word he could have used as well. This one's getting a little bit closer. It sounds like Philadelphia, but it's philanthropia. And this is the root word of the English word philanthropy. So you've probably heard of a philanthropist, right? 
This is a little bit different because when I picture a philanthropist, I'm usually thinking of some really, really rich guy in the downtown Vancouver um, skyscraper. He's got a corner office. He's looking out into the mountains and the ocean, and he's got sitting there at a marble desk with like a tooth. I was at Staples the other day. They have like $400 pens. I'm like, what is this for? But anyways, that's what I picture he has, and he's signing checks for kids in orphanages around the world, and he's giving to toward build, organizing the building of camps for at-risk kids. He's given to missionaries. And here's the thing. Don't, don't get this twisted. I'm not here telling you that there is anything less about that, that that's not super valuable and that's not, not good. If you are somebody that feel, that's been blessed with finances and resources, please continue to give them where you feel God leading you to, whether that's missions here through Eagle Mont or, or different charities, whatever it is. That's fantastic. I'm not here to, to dump on philanthropy. It's, it's, it's a God heart, the thing that's at God's heart is to help people. But what I'm trying to say is that that's not the word that Peter uses here because it doesn't fit. And here's why. Philadelphia is different. Philadelphia, brotherly love, is different than philanthropy. It's different than Christos because it's those two, you can do at a distance. But brotherly love or mutual affection or whatever you want to call it, it's done in the trenches. It's done day to day. It's in the hard times, it's face-to-face, and it's in the good times. It's more than just a distance engagement. It's more than just well-wishing. It's more than just writing a check. It's living this thing that we call life and supporting each other through it. So what does that mean? What this means is that when God is calling us through these scriptures to live a life that, that is brotherly love and to add this attitude to our lives... He's calling us to do more than than what our convenience culture tells us to do. He's telling us to step out of our inconvenience and to live in a way that is contrary to what culture has told us to do. We are the type of people, I don't even know, I've heard this explained by other people, that that back in the day, people would go and they'd visit their neighbors or like know their neighbors' names. I've never really experienced that. I knew my neighbors growing up but I don't see that, that what I've heard was there before where everybody knew each other, where, where people invited people over to their houses more. And, and it's not all a bad thing. People still engage. They, they go to you know, Starbucks or Tim Hortons. But it seems like we're becoming this reclusive society that doesn't want to engage on any level, let alone on a deep level like described here. And again, I, I'm not going to come up here and, and, and just say, oh, well, get rid of your phones and get rid of technology. Don't. Actually embrace it because God's given us some awesome technology and tools to, to reach the world, to communicate, and it's, it's good. But what I'm trying to say is that we can't just live at a distance. We need to be more engaged. We need to be face-to-face in the trenches with people because that's what the church has been called to do. And that, frankly, is a complete clash with the convenience culture that we live in. It's just how it is. And that's not always easy. It's, it's uncomfortable, absolutely. If we're following through with this, if we're living through with this, it's going to be incredibly un- uncomfortable at times. And I think that's okay, because anything worth doing is often difficult and is, is hard to do in the beginning at least. It's not enough to just love people at a distance. It's not enough to just like a post on Facebook. It's not enough to just hear a story about you're the person at church whose family is going through something horrible and say, oh, that's too bad. I'll pray for them. And then you forget. I'm terrible for that, I'll be honest, where you say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then like a week later, like, ooh, I should have prayed. 
It's important. Follow through on those things. That's a side note. Follow through. Prayer is important. But it takes more than just that. It takes more than just goodwill. It takes more than just good intentions. Good intentions don't change the world. Acting does. And that's what we see in James uh, 2, 15 to 16. It says this. Now, James was uh, Jesus' biological brother, so he would have lived growing up with, with Jesus and had a really good uh, you know, perspective on, on Jesus because he was literally his brother. And he says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? If you have good intentions and you tell them that I have good intentions, but you don't do anything about it, what good is that? And that sounds like a rhetorical question, like it sounds ridiculous to even think about, but what good is that? And I find myself doing that all the time, where, you know, you keep people at arm's length because it's just easier, it's more convenient. You know, you can care, I can care, I can hashtag pray for whatever tragedy is happening in the world this week or next week or whatever, but I never do anything about it. I can, I can say that I'm going to pray for, for the needy people in my community or downtown Edmonton or whatever it is, but I'll never step out and do anything about it. There needs to be more than just the good intentions that are happening. Let me tell you a story about something that absolutely changed my life that, that falls into this. And it, it may seem insignificant in comparison. When I say changed my life, you're probably expecting some fireworks show or something like that, that that happened in this. But it seems small, but it was massive. There was a guy that used to go to this church. His name was Hal. And he was my boss at the lumberyard when I worked there. And I uh, went through a really gross, ugly breakup with a girl um, who had been through chemotherapy and whatever. It was really, like, I was very emotionally invested and I was just crushed, like it, it just broke me. Uh, and I was working at this lumber yard that summer and like I was down and out as much as, you, as I can ever remember being. Um, you just kind of get up and sleepwalk through the day. Like it was just an emotionally draining year and then just like, duh, at the end, not good. And you know, the thing about 18, 19 year old friends who are guys is that they're also not necessarily the most emotionally engaged people uh, in the world either. So there wasn't a ton of support from there. It, they actually kind of made it worse. And I didn't really want to talk about it, but when I did, it was kind of turned into a joke. And it was, it was just bad. It was, a, it was a very vicious cycle. And I just, you could probably, I know people told me that I looked like I was in the dumps. Like I was just in this funk and I didn't really know how to get out of it. And this guy, Hal, he's, if you knew him, he's, he's been around here uh, from time to time, even recently, but a very, very quiet guy someone who doesn't talk very much. He's not the type of guy that you would expect. He would never get up and like share something publicly or, or go out of his way to be like seen at all. Um, but he was my boss and one day he told me, he said, Jeff, do you want to go golfing? Sure. So Hal had me come to his house and he, I remember we got in his broken down old van who was so old and so broken and uh, he had a plate of lasagna waiting for me and it was super awkward because again, he's totally out of his comfort zone with this. He gets a plate of lasagna and we had to rush to get and he took me to Victoria Golf Course which is actually a nicer golf course. It's nicer than like any one that I generally go to. Paid for my nine holes and on the way out there he actually started opening up to me about his similar story that he went through where he actually uh, had, it was really weird because we found out that the girls had the same name, which was like a weird moment for both of us. Um, but we, we talk, talked me through, he's like, you know what, it was horrible. I, I've been there, I've been through what you're going through and I, I know the pain you're going through and I know that it sucks, I know it seems like there's no end, but I've been there and it does get better. 
And I can't even remember the exact words he used, but it was so impactful that he would take the time out of his day. The guy worked like 13 hours a day and would come and instead of going home and relaxing, would take me golfing and would just share, especially when I know how uncomfortable it makes him to share like that. But that changed my perspective. And honestly, when I look back at that story in my life, um, that was a point of change for me where I was able to begin the process of healing and moving on. Um, And so that was huge. That was extremely, extremely inconvenient for Hal. I wish that you knew, and maybe some people do, just how outside of his comfort zone that was. That's not his thing. But he knew that if he could step outside of his convenience, if he could step outside of what was comfortable, he could change my life. And he did. And I, don't, and I hope he knows how much that, that worked and that changed my life. Here's what I'm trying to say. We need to check our hearts. If you're willing to come to the serving day in May, which we're excited about, and I hope everyone's there, and you're willing to come that one day and engage in serving your community, but if you're sitting in minus 30 weather in your house and you see the elderly person who's shoveling and struggling and you know that, that uh, her husband passed away recently and, and she's freezing and, and can't do it, but you won't go out and help her because you just want to shut the blinds, it's easier just to pretend it's not there, that's the opposite of what we're talking about here with brotherly love. That's, and, and that's not to pick on anybody, that's not to say that that's happening, that's a pretty extreme example. But if you're not willing to engage in brotherly love to your community, if you're not willing to engage in that sort of connection with your community, that, that face-to-face in the trenches, out of your convenience, out of your way love, then you're not going to be much of salt and light towards the community. We're not showing that we're for Beaumont very much by doing that if we choose convenience over the gospel and what we're called to do here and what Peter tells us to do, we're not doing what we're called to. And that's not a good thing. So why? What happened? Maybe before, maybe you did this. Maybe this was part of your character. Maybe this is something that you had no problem with, but you cared for people. You stepped out of your comfort zone, and you, you went out of your way. You made yourself vulnerable, and you were met with coldness. You were met with a certain amount of just meanness, to be honest. Or maybe you just didn't get any recognition. Nobody said thank you, and it's happened over and over again. And the scars of these experiences have built a callus over your heart, and the layers have built and built and built and built built. And next thing you know now, you just don't even want to try. It's easier to keep people at a distance. It's easier just to press like on Facebook or to give a passing, yeah, I feel bad or I'll pray for you. But to get into the in-depth engagement in brotherly love, in family love, that's tough. I believe that, that Peter used the term brotherly love for a specific reason, and that's because it's family. We often call ourselves a church family here. But all, and the, thing about family is it's not easy. Me and my sister, we don't see eye to eye on anything. I like sports, she likes horses. Like, we just don't, she, yeah, we're just, we don't get along. It's not like we fight all the time, but like, we, have, we don't go for coffee. Like, if, if she phoned me was like, want to grab a coffee, that, I would do it. Maybe I should, but it would be a weird, like, thing to do for, based on our relationship. We don't really have much in common. There's been lots of, as kids, we didn't like each other. As teenagers, we didn't like each other. As adults, we get along okay. It's fine. But I'll tell you what. She's my family, and if I knew that she was in trouble, I'd be there right away. If I found out that somebody was hurting her, I'd be there with a baseball bat right away. 
And, and that's because I love her. Even though we don't like each other most of the time, it's not that bad. Just because we don't like each other or agree on literally anything, it doesn't mean we don't love each other. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't die for each other. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't, wouldn't do whatever it takes. That's why he uses the term brotherly or sisterly love. That's why it's a family conversation. Family is hard. Family is face-to-face. But family is worth it. And that's what God calls us as a church to be, as a church family, to take care of each other, to be a family that reaches out and shares that same love with the community around us. We've changed our heart. So for you this morning, what is it that needs to happen in your heart? Because we talk about adding to your faith. That's what this verse says. Add to your faith all these things. Perseverance, self-control. It's not just agree that these are good things. Read these and be like, oh yeah, that's a good thing. You know who else agrees that these are all good things? Self-control, knowledge, love, perseverance. Everybody. There's nothing that differentiates between us as Christians and, and followers of Jesus and other people that don't if we just agree that these are a positive thing to that if someone else does it, that's neat, that's good, sweet. No, it says add it to your faith because being a follower of Jesus, you have to do this. So to add it, you have to choose to add it. And, and we, there's a case to be made and I believe that the Holy Spirit will help us with that in a supernatural way if we're willing to, to rip off the calluses that surround our heart and the, the, the horrible like, things that we've experienced that have gotten in the way. But we have to daily choose to add these things. So when it's hard to love, when it's, when it's inconvenient to go out of our way to help people, to be face-to-face in the trenches, we have to choose to add these, these things to our faith. We need to choose to add brotherly love to our faith. For those that aren't from church, that have never been at church before, or it's your first time here, you were brought, had a friend bring you. First of all, like I said, we're, we're thankful you're here. One of the questions I get all the time when I talk to people that don't believe in Jesus, that don't engage in church is, well, really, what does church matter? What is the point? Like, like what does church bring to society that we, that we need? This is it. Stats are increasingly at a drastic rate showing that we have a society that over the last 10 years has been sinking into desperate loneliness. And loneliness is, is, they're showing more and more facts that this is destroying people's physical health as well as their mental health. There's a phenomenon that happened primarily in elderly people because of the fact that sometimes spouses die or friends die and, and there's loneliness that comes in at that stage of life from time to time if there's not people to surround them. And obviously that's something that we as a church want to step in for those who are elderly in our church and and help out with. But this is no longer just towards that demographic. This phenomenon of health-related, like your health going down because of loneliness, is hitting teenagers, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. It can all be rooted back to around 2007 when the iPhone came out and when apps and social media took over our world. And again, I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm just saying this is a fact. Because people are so desperate to share their, their, with the world um, everything in the best of themselves, to show exactly what they, they want the world to think. And we see what everybody's best is, and that's, the, that's what matters. That everybody's best is what matters. And I, I want to be as good as the people and compare my life to them, and that's how we live our life. And it sinks us into this comparison game, and we become increasingly lonely. Without genuine connection without real connection, the connection that comes through brotherly, family, sisterly, whatever love you want to use, whatever analogy, 
That's what brings hope. That's what brings connectiveness. What Peter's calling us to as a church is exactly what the world needs. It's exactly what Beaumont needs, and it's exactly what you need in your life. It's what you need to add to your faith, and it's what you need to share with your community and your family. So this morning, as we close, I just ask you, what do you need? What do you need to do? What conversation do you need to have with God's Holy Spirit? What's built the callus? Maybe you need a complete like restart in this area. You need to forgive some people. You need to, to just say, God, I, I forgive them. I need to move past this and start to love people again. I need, to, I need freedom from this. Or maybe you're just saying, I, I need help, God, to be reminded to add these things to my faith, to, to go out of my way, to not be lazy and choose convenience over the gospel because the gospel is an inconvenient truth. It's inconvenient. What do you need this morning? Now ask God. What do you need? I think it helps to spend time in Scripture. I'd encourage you to spend time reading the Bible. Read through even this verse in James 2 and, and in First uh, Peter. But uh, we need to be turning to God and, and open to him, um, just reaching us and, and, and driving us towards these things. So I just want to pray for you guys this morning. And if that's something you want, if that's something you need, um, that's, just share that with God. He hears your thoughts. He hears your voice. Um, and I believe the Holy Spirit's going to work in you this morning. If it's your first time here, uh, we want to put out the invitation. If this is something that you want to know more about or, or you would like to start your own uh, journey with Jesus, this is your opportunity. Now, maybe you, you don't fully understand it, but this sounds like something you want more of. Like, you want to give Jesus your life. And, and don't get me wrong, this is a really big decision. This isn't just a 45-degree turn. This is a 180. This changes everything, how you live, how you spend, how you save, how you love people. But it's one of the most difficult but the most valuable thing you can add to your life. And if that's something you would like today, uh, we want you to, uh, to be able to pray along with me. You just have to pray along in your, in your heart, in your head. And we just encourage you to fill out uh, a connection card in the seat pocket in front of you. Just a, a little note in there, your name and your, your uh, email or your phone number, and saying that you've accepted Jesus this morning. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. And if you're comfortable with we'd even take you out for coffee. That would, that would be something we'd love to do. Uh, but just pray along with me. Wherever you're at, whatever you need this morning, this is your opportunity. God, thank you uh, just that you love us and that you've called us as a church to, to be that, that loving family uh, to each other and to the world around us. God, I just pray that uh, for people here that have built this callus in their hearts, that have been broken down by experiences, that God, you, there would be healing there, and in Jesus' name, that they'd no longer uh, be, be burdened by that, that pain and that suffering. God, I pray that you would drive us to choose to live in the ways that you've called us to in this verse in, in 1 Peter. God, I pray that we would not choose convenience, that we would not be lazy in our faith in the way that we act out uh, this Jesus-based life, but that, that God, you would uh, help us to choose the inconvenient ways that impact people's lives forever. So God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just be with people now, would challenge people, would convict people in where they need to be convicted but would bring growth in those areas as well and freedom from where there may be pain before. For people that are accepting Jesus, you for the first time, I just pray, God, that, that like all of us have said before, that, that we would choose to live uh, a life that is based in you, that we, we give you our sins, we give you our, our, uh, the mistakes we've made, and we choose to be new life based on what you did in the cross and what you did on the cross, and how we don't need to feel guilty, or it doesn't matter what we've done before. We give you all those things, and we choose to follow you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.